0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the Book of Luke. the The Book of Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. God sent Jesus, the Messiah of the world, down to save us. He worked many miracles, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, causing the lame to walk and the blind to see. Many demons were cast out in his name. Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the good news of repentance, for people to turn away from their sin and prideful arrogance, thinking that they could save themselves, and turn to God, humbly acknowledging he is the only way to true life and freedom. Last we saw that Jesus entered the house of Martha and Mary, but Jesus tells her to put things in proper priority. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 10, verse 42.
1: And so Jesus, in verse 42, he points out how to fix it. He says to her, Martha, one thing, in contrast to this priority you have that's causing anxiety and an outward agitation, one thing is needful. And then he pauses. That word, the colon there means he pauses, he stops. The phrase there, one thing, it means there's a single thing. Remember, she's agitated and she's anxious, and, which produces agitation, outward agitation about many things. And, and it's like the Lord looks at all those things and goes, there's only one thing <laughs> that you lack right now that you need to make a priority in your life. There's an easy fix. All these other things need to go by the wayside, needing to make one thing your number one priority. And then he pauses. Now, why would he pause with that statement? Because the phrase one thing or a single thing should trigger something in Martha's mind. A common rabbinical method of instruction was to quote the first word of a verse or the first word of a section of the scripture while the listeners would then finish it. For example, when Jesus was on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the first line of a very important psalm. I believe it's Psalm 22. It's a psalm that talks about how they must prophesy. A 1,000 years before it happens, prophesies the crucifixion of the Messiah. And there he's on the cross going, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani. He's bringing their attention. Why is he quoting Psalm 22? So that they will read through it and look up and see it fulfilled right before their eyes. He's being a good rabbi, even as he's dying. And here, Jesus being a good rabbi again, he says one thing is what you need, Martha. Where does that one thing come from? Look at Psalm 27. Turn to Psalm 27 with me. Psalm 27 and verse 4. How does it start? One thing. Martha would recognize that phrase. David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? So I can behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David said, that's the single thing. That's the one thing. Now, if we isolate this verse and that's all we talked about and we move back into Luke 10, this verse would be beautiful. But if we just isolate this verse and don't look at what came before, we miss an important truth. When does David say these words when he's in a really bad situation? Look at verse 1. David starts out this song by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, they came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. I don't know about you, but I don't know of any human being that wants to eat me for breakfast today. I didn't wake up today and, and, and you know, have a text going, you're mine, Ramirez. I'm going to devour you today. I mean, of course, that's what the enemy wants to do, Right? He just doesn't send me any text messages. And I know I've already blocked his number, so. (laughs) David was in a bad situation. It was, things were dark. He needed rescuing. He didn't have enough strength to handle that situation. He goes, but you know what? When they came against me, they wanted to eat me alive. He goes, they stumbled and fell. The Lord took care of me. They didn't succeed. They didn't succeed at all. And he says, and so because of that, though a host should encamp up against me, m- more enemies, a whole army wants to, you know, have me for breakfast. He goes, my heart shall not fear. Though war, not just one army, but multiple armies should rise up against me. In this, I'm going to be confident. What? What is it? That's where verse four comes in. He says, in this thing, I'm going to find my security. In this thing, I'm going to trust in. This is the thing. What does David desire most in his worst situations? See, since the Lord was David's light, since the Lord was David's salvation, since the Lord was David's strength, he finds confidence in these horrible circumstances. He's trusting that God's already going to come through for him. He's already convinced that God will succeed and will do it in whatever way he sees fit. He's fine with that. So what's the one thing he wants? Not necessarily that God will come through for him. He's already, that's a given to him. What's the one thing he wants? The one thing he's gonna trust in. the one thing he's gonna find security in is verse four. This is the priority that he set in his heart. This is the thing he's looking forward to more than anything in the midst of a bad situation. He says, this is what I have asked from the Lord. This is what I'm seeking after. This is what I'm requesting to secure from God. And what is it? That I may dwell in his house all the days of my life. The word there dwell, it means to sit down, to make something your home. He says, I want to go to God's house and I want to make it my home. I want to sit down there. I know right now I might have a fight on my hands, but I know the Lord, he'll figure out how to come through for me. I don't, whatever way he wants, I'm good. But my thing I'm looking for, I want to get there. I want to get back to the temple. I want to hang out with him. I want to sit at his feet. I want to learn from him. That's what he says here. Why does he want to be there? He says to behold the beauty of the Lord. The word there "behold" means to see something so that you understand it. It's not just to look at it, but to see it in such a way and to such a depth where you can really study it and actually understand it. And what does he want to see and understand? The beauty of the Lord. The word beauty there, it means his kindness, his pleasantness, his grace. And we sang that song today, I see your face, you're beautiful. Again, it's not because we get goosebumps, we go, oh, I can see Jesus' face in my mind, he is beautiful. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this idea of what is Jesus like? He's kind, he's pleasant, you know, he's gracious. It's the attributes of God that we learn in the word. What David's saying is, I want to learn more. I want to learn more about the character of God. I want to see it more clearly. I want to understand it. And then he says, as I learn and I understand more of it, he says, I want to inquire. The word there, inquire, means I want to think about it. I want to study it. That's what the word means, to inspect diligently. I want to study it. I want to grasp it in ways I never have before. Now, let me ask you a question. What David just said here, doesn't that sound exactly like what Mary's doing right now? She is zeroed in, dialed in on Jesus, taken in his every word. That is her priority in that moment. And Martha's distracted. She can't do that because that's not her priority in that moment. And so Jesus, when he says this to her, one thing is necessary. He's telling her, Martha, you need to get back to David, what he wanted. That needs to become your priority. That's why he pauses. Now, after letting that concept of that one single thing being the most important priority in in Martha's life, after he lets that truth sink into her mind, Jesus tells her, I'm not gonna give in to your demands, Martha. He says to her, that one thing, that single thing is what you lack and what you need. You need to get back to David's heart. And he goes, Mary's chosen that already. She's already made the choice to make that a priority in her heart. And so I'm not gonna take that away from her. The phrase there, chosen, it means to prefer one choice over another choice. You've got choices in front of you. And Mary has chosen, he says, the good part. It's an interesting way that word, those, that phrase in the Greek, it actually literally Jesus says to her, Mary has chosen the best dish on the table. That's what Jesus says to her. Mary's chosen the best dish on the table. In other words, Martha, if your priority is going to be hospitality right now, if that's going to be the number one priority in your heart and not sitting at my feet, you will never be able to prepare a dish that will be better than the one Mary already has. Never. You will always come up short in trying to fulfill that priority, which means you will always experience anxiety, which means you will always be outwardly agitated. So, Martha you need to make this the new priority in your life, spending time with me, learning about me. Mary has already made that decision. So I'm not gonna make her stop enjoying that place. I'm not gonna make Mary stop spending time with me as a solution to your wrong prioritization. Now, story ends there. We can all go home. Have a great afternoon. No, of course it doesn't end there. Luke, that's all he gives to us. But we, and we don't even know what Martha's response here is, but we do get the rest of her story elsewhere. Turn to John chapter 11 with me. Now I'm going to read the first three verses and I'm going to skip down to verse 17 because it's not that the chunk there is not important. It's just, it doesn't apply to Martha. But in John chapter 11, and we look at verse one, it says here, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And then John explains to us who they are. Oh, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So now we know Lazarus isn't just a guy who lives in the village with Mary and Martha. He's their brother. So this is a family, again, we've already learned. Luke 10 occurs before John 11. John 11 is much toward the end of Jesus' life, right before the cross. Luke 10 occurs, these guys are close, and and because they're close, verse three, when Lazarus gets sick, it says, therefore his sisters sent unto him Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. You gotta get down here. We've seen you help tons of sick people. You need to help Lazarus. He is not well. The next few verses talk about what happens in the meantime. Jesus actually waits two days before he leaves, and then it's a two-day journey to Bethany. So four days go by. And during that time, Lazarus dies. Lazarus is dead, and as verse 17 will show us, he's actually already buried. Verse 17 says, not buried in the ground, they would put the bones and the body in a tomb first until the body decomposed, and then they would take the bones, and they'd usually put them in a box, an ossuary or something like that. When Jesus comes, he found that Lazarus had been laying in the tomb for four days already. So he's already got the grave clothes around him. He's been anointed with all the burial ointments and he's in the tomb and the body's already started to decompose. Now, Bethany, verse 18, was near into Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, about an eighth of a mile, not very far. And many of the Jews were, had already come to Mary and Martha. They were staying at their house to comfort them concerning their brother. This mourning has been going on for days. So verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. She, I, same thing, I need to go talk to him. Now Martha, of course, she, Mary, she sits still in the house. And when Martha meets Jesus, verse 21, it says, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Can I ask you a question? Has Martha changed her tune at all? Sounds pretty similar to chapter 10 of Luke, doesn't it? Lord, you messed up again, but it's okay. I've got a solution. I know you. I've watched you ask God. I've watched you ask your father for anything. I've seen you raise people from the dead. I know you can bring my brother back. So you ask, you take care of this, and you can fix the mess you made. Now, you might be saying, that's a little harsh, Will. I mean, her brother just died. Come on, give her a break. But I want you to think back to Psalm 27. David is threatened with his own life. He's in the same boat as Martha is. A tragedy, a trial, a difficulty. But he has an entirely different reaction. He's not agitated. He's not not experiencing anxiety. Why? Because he's prioritized deepening his relationship with the Lord. And Martha hasn't. See, because Martha hasn't changed at all, Jesus goes right back to that most important thing. So he says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. You and your brother have everything you need to be all right in this tragedy. You're good. (laughs) He's going to rise again. You're going to see him again. Comfort yourself with that fact. (laughs) That's not what Martha wanted to hear. She even tells him. She goes, I already knew that. I didn't need you to tell me that. I know my brother shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. That's not what I asked. That's not what I told you you needed to do. We get this powerful statement from Jesus that calls Martha to make the choice that she didn't make back in Luke 10. Jesus says to her, Martha, you you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that I'm everything you need? Do you believe that if you make me the top priority, knowing me and being in me the top priority, that all will be fine? This time, Martha does change her priority. Look at verse 27. She says unto him, yes, Lord. Then she pauses, <laughs> She says, I do believe you're the Christ, the son of God which should come into the world. And when she had finally said that, she finally came to terms with that, that Jesus was enough, that being at his feet, hearing what he had to say, the words that he would speak to her were enough for her. Look at her reaction now. She went her way. She was all right. Now, and she called her sister Mary. She didn't make a big stink. She calls her sister Mary secretly saying, hey, the master's here and he's asking for you. How do I know Martha's different? We'll look at John 12 when we see her again. And this is a very similar story to Luke 10 with all all the negative parts. Chapter 12 of John beginning in verse 1. John 12 verse 1. And then 6 days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was lived which had was one of the, which had been dead but whom was raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And what's Martha doing? She served. But what's missing this time? No complaining, no anxiety, no outward agitation. She's just serving. And a similar circumstance occurs. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And then in that time period, Mary, she stopped serving if she was helping. And she took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the anointment. Now, someone else gets irritated at this time. It's Judas, because he's never come to that place where Jesus and sitting at his feet was enough for Kim. But we find that Martha's happy just to serve this time. Everything is finally in its proper order, proper priorities. Now, I bring this up because when I teach a message like this, I'm frequently asked, okay, Pastor Will, so I'm just supposed to, you know, ignore my career, ignore my family, and, you know, grab my Bible and go into a cave just to spend time with Jesus all the time. Is that what you're saying? Nothing else should be important to me. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Look at Martha. She's still serving here. It's not that doing a good job at hospitality is a bad thing. It's just that it must be secondary in priority to spending time with Jesus to seeing him more clearly, to understanding him better. I don't need to leave my job to do that. I don't need to ignore my family to do that. I just need to prioritize my heart correctly, all right? As we close, I wanna read a scripture to you because this idea of one thing is picked up by another rabbi, a rabbi named Saul of Tarsus. And let's turn to Philippians chapter three because here we are. And what David said and what Jesus proclaimed to Martha has not changed. Because we find here what's the burning passion and the goal of Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul the Apostle. Well, Paul writing to the Philippians here in chapter 3, he is warning them about false teachers and particularly he calls them the mutilation. In other words, they just want to circumcise people. They just want to cut skin off people in sensitive places. He, he says, that's not what makes you spiritual. He says, that's not what, what you need. He says, instead, you need something else. And so he tells them, you know, we are the circumcision, verse three, Philippians chapter three. He says, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. It's not just, we're not just doing rituals that don't actually mean anything in our hearts. He goes, we worship God in the spirit from the heart. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we don't have any confidence in our flesh. I'm not thinking to myself, hey, man, I've been circumcised. I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what else I do. He says, no, no, no. If that happens, you're just in pain. doesn't help you spiritually. We don't have any confidence in our own righteousness. But then he says this, though, I might also have confidence in the flesh. Not many people can. Most people might look at their lives and go, wow, man, I'm, I am not a good person. So it goes, you know, I had a lot of things I could look at that were going good. He says, and if any man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in his flesh, I'm better. Any human being out there, they think they're good, I'm better than they were. And he explains why. He goes, I didn't wait to be an adult to be circumcised. I was circumcised the eighth day. He goes, I've been circumcised my whole life. Not only that, he says, I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of God's chosen people. not some dirty Gentile. I have lived my whole life with the truth of God. Lived my whole life with the understanding of God's word. Not only that, but I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. What's the tribe of Benjamin? Produced Israel's first king, the one that, remember, was stood out head and shoulders above everybody else. And I was named after him, Saul. My future was set in stone by my very name. I was gonna be something important. And I became something important. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. There was nobody more Jewish than me. And concerning God's law, I was a Pharisee, a righteous one. Oh, I, I was dedicated to it. Concerning passion for it, oh man, I persecuted the church. I killed Christians because of my own idea of righteousness. And touching the righteousness with the Jews found in the law, how they thought they were righteous, he goes, you couldn't get me on anything. I was blameless. You could look at my life, you wouldn't find a speck of dirt. But verse 7, he says, what things were gained to me, all those accomplishments, those I counted loss for Christ. All of it, worthless to know Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, any other accomplishment but loss for the excellency, the thing that's better than everything else. And what is it? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have actually, he says, suffered the loss of all things. All those old positions, all those old, the way people used to view me, it's all shot. They don't view me that way anymore. Do you know what? I count them but dung, rubbish, trash in order that I might win Christ. And that I might be found in him. Not be found as as someone who stands above the crowd by everybody else, but that I might be found in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. In other words, by faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, by my faith in Christ. What else, he says? Not only is it his righteousness, you know, that's what's important to me, but my goal is to know him, that I may know him the power of his resurrection, all his power in my life and also the fellowship of his sufferings. He goes, I want to be as much like Jesus as I can be. I want to know Jesus intimately, so much so even being made conformable unto his death. And this is my new goal, that if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he goes, I'm not there yet, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I pursue after, if that I may apprehend that for which Christ apprehended me. Jesus grabbed hold of me to know him intimately and I'm not there yet so I keep pressing in to lay hold of what he laid hold of me for. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but what is the next word? There's that phrase again, isn't it? One thing I do. I forget those things which are behind me, all those accolades, all those other priorities and I reach forth unto those things which are in front of me before and I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what is that? To know him in the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings. To know him. What Mary did. What David longed for. That's where the priority needs to be. Not to be recognized as spiritual. Not to be recognized as, as you know, successful. Let us therefore, now here's the, the exhortation to us. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as be mature. If you're a mature Christian, Think like this. And if in anything you be otherwise, you think differently, God shall reveal even this unto you. I've done enough. <laughs> he goes, God will help you figure it out that you need to change, just like he helped Martha. So this morning I would ask you as the worship team comes up, are you anxious and agitated often? Are you always upset at people because they're not recognizing you or you, you know, they're not doing their part or whatever? You know, are you always just anxious and, and, and outwardly agitated because things aren't going the way you want them to? And let me follow up that question with a more helpful one. Are you lacking what's most important in your life? You know, Martha was anxious and agitated because she had made the choice to ignore that most important thing while Mary had made a choice to prioritize it. And if your priority is recognition or accomplishment or success or any of those things, you're gonna be anxious. You're gonna be agitated. And so I ask you this morning as we close, do you need to reprioritize? Today would be a good day to do it. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, we thank you so much that these believers, these sisters in the Lord were put on display for us so we could learn. We thank you, Lord, for your servant David, your servant Paul, who communicated the correct priority that we're supposed to have for us by example. And Lord, we wanna make that our our priority today in our hearts, knowing you, the most important thing. Lord, we wanna be faithful at our jobs, we wanna be faithful with our families, faithful in our communities, but Lord, we want to prioritize and make sure this is the most important thing. Sitting at your feet, getting to know you better, studying about you, and falling more in love with you. So Lord, today as my dear brothers and sisters are maybe recommitting things or maybe for the first time making that the priority in their heart, would you fill them with your spirit that they might be able to live it out? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: The first and foremost priority of our lives should be Jesus. Time spent with Him in His Word, time spent in prayer. It is never a waste to spend ourselves, our energy, time, and effort for Jesus. It is the one thing that will actually bring us true joy, peace, and freedom. But we buckle and falter. We busy our lives with things that are self-serving, or make excuses for why we don't give any time for the Lord. Time with Him is so important. We make time for the things that are most important to us. Let Jesus be of that much value to our lives that we long to just sit at His feet daily. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800. During our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.